welcome to another episode of the Community World Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez. And I'm here today with Mr. Bill Wards. See, how you doing, Mr. Wards? Just just fine. Where, can you share with our friends uh, who are listening, where are you visiting us today from? I'm visiting from Mesa, Arizona. Mesa, Arizona. Okay. And the reason that you came to Rochester, Minnesota? I come to speak to the uh, Native American Interest Group, and I wanted to share... At the Mayo Clinic? Yes, at the Mayo Clinic, okay. I'm sorry. And I wanted to uh, share my journey as a prostate cancer survivor. Okay. Uh, how long, how long do you been, how long, when were you diagnosed with? I was diagnosed in 2004, so I'm a 12-year cancer survivor. Uh, I had surgery, <coughs> robotic surgery, in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Uh, prior to me moving to Mesa, I lived in Oregon. And um, can you share also the piece that you share with the with the people from the Mayo Clinic about how I saw a statement that you had about how music, in your case, in your persona, help you uh, go through this. I, before I speak, I usually let, let have a small introduction by someone. Please. And I uh, am a native flute player. And flute, in my world, is medicine. And so before I speak to the audience, I play a song on my flute. To me, it's medicine to the people. It prepares the people to listen. As I was told in my upbringing that uh, the Creator takes the music and heals the broken spirits of the people. I know nothing about the spirits. The Creator knows that. The songs that I play are from the Creator. They come into me and I play the music. I have an easy job from the Creator. I just play the music and He uses the music to touch the broken spirits. That's the way I start my presentation. It always makes the people feel more relaxed. It makes them be more attentive. Do you perform I, I, today when you present presented? Today, you pre yes, I did perform. Would you mind? No. Uh, show to our the audience uh, or friends who are listening here at the Community Board <coughs> podcast. Is this is a a native? Flute? Yes, it is. Wow. And where where do you learn the the flute? I the learned native? I learned the flute is a gift from my creator. Okay. I was never taught by anyone. It's just a spiritual group. Uh, I mean, gift from our creator. When I first was diagnosed, when I was went through cancer surgery. I had a spiritual experience where the elders came to me from the Creator to take me home. The Creator said it was not my time to go, and the Creator charted my journey for the rest of my life. I'm always where I need to be, where He wants me to be, and I always do what He wants me to do. In my journey, He provided me this flute to play. I never played a musical instrument of any kind before then. I had no one to teach me how to play this. I learned it pretty much on my own. I looked in a book and saw the keys, and I just started trying to make songs and make it come together. The first time I ever played for an audience was in Oregon at the Warm Springs Indian Reservation. The Treaty Day celebration, one of my friends asked me, did I have a flute? I said, yes, it was in my truck. He says, go get it. I want to see it. I went to get it, and uh, he says, can you play it? I says, well, I probably sound like a person that's uh, singing in the shower. You know how you sing in the mm -hmm. shower and think that you sound real good? I says, but that was about the extent of it. He says, can you play At this it? point, you never had uh, performed in public? No, no. And I was sitting there on the stage with him, and they were just kind of gathering. He said, hit me a note. And I hit a note, and he says, you're invited to play with us today. And I'm already on stage, and I said, oh, my God. I wonder what it's going to sound like. 
What kind of celebration was this? It's a treaty day celebration. Every uh -huh. year that uh, the tribes up in the Northwest have kind of a celebration of when they signed their treaties in 1855. It's in June, and they call it Piamshaw Treaty Days at Warm Springs. And so, so they, this is a big gathering. It's a big gathering. So I, and they're in the stage. They, they played. They were known as players, so they played, both of them, and it went through, and then they moved back, each one play, and moved back, and it was my turn. I had to first learn out where the music comes out of the flute. It doesn't come out in the end. It comes out up here. Mm -hmm. And so they showed me that, and I, and I got up, and I played a song, and I got through, and the audience applauded. <laughs> I was shocked, you know. <laughs> I said, I play something that somebody likes, you know, and so from that point on that uh, I played with them a lot of times. I went on and they taught me other things and uh, I had uh, was gifted flutes. You know, a lot of times when the, in the flute world we don't compete against each other but people saw that uh, I didn't have this type and these flutes, by the way, are tuned music musically. G's, G sharps, F sharps, D's, E's, and so they would look at my little one flute they gave me something else to go with it, a different uh, uh, tune. And so it's grown from that period of time, you know. As a, I took it, and I, after performing there, I just felt comfortable. It's like the spirit was with me, says, you know, the creator's behind you. Play. You know, don't worry about the people. Play the music, and it will inspire people. So that's a little bit of the story on that flute. And I'll play you just a song a little bit here just so you can see. Please. Thank you. Beautiful. How, going back to the sharing your story, the reason that you were here to share your journey with the, with the researchers, with the, uh, a big institution like Mayo Clinic, how did you get involved first as a, as a survivor with the research community back at, in, in Arizona? It, uh, in Arizona, I can start with how I got affiliated with Mayo. Okay. I was involved in a, a grant with Dr. John Tilbert, a research grant mm -hmm. on prostate cancer. And I'm a prostate cancer survivor. And it was uh, Alaska Natives and American Indians. So I met here on the board with the Alaska Natives and Dr. Tilbert. Being a prostate cancer, and also I'm a Vietnam War veteran, and uh, I also try to connect to the veteran community. Mm -hmm. I also am pretty culturally diverse. You know, uh, you know, I grew up on the reservation, White Mountain Apache Reservation, and believe it or not, I, in school I had to learn to speak Spanish before I graduated from high school, so I had two years of Spanish in school and I lived in Spanish-speaking community mm -hmm. and, and native community. So it's not many cultures that I have any fear of going in. I have any, uh, I have a great understanding and I'm very comfortable in those settings. A lot of people are not. A lot of people look at the differences and they fear the differences. 
I don't meet strangers. I've never met a stranger. I felt very comfortable because the people around me had made me feel comfortable. When I took it in school and I did a fundraising for one of my friends that had drowned, I had to go into the community and most of the uh, Mexican Americans, and I try to look at this uh, kind of a, from the, from the uh, politically correct, I went back home and uh, the Madrids, I said, uh, Hispanic. And they said, don't call me a Hispanic, I'm Mexican. So, you know, uh, that's what I grew up with. And, and you, you have to watch now with all the political correctness how people view that. But I'm comfortable at home of, of, of saying that because people told me that uh, when you call me Hispanic, you generalize, you know, you take away my ethnicity. I was born as a Mexican, and now you call me a Hispanic, which is something that somebody else has come up with. That's just a Latin American all-inclusive. But I, and, uh, I come from Mexico. There is a difference. So I had to learn to it's walk that. Yeah, uh -huh. I, had to, I had to learn to walk that line. As I get away from there, everybody's calling everybody everything else. You know, it's like... Uh, uh, Negro and being now African American, you know, it's like uh, uh, American Indian. Now it's Native American, you know. So a lot of those things that uh, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it because I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm trying to be uh, uh, inclusive and I'm trying to work with you. And I know where I stand, and uh, you know, I'm not thin-skinned. So my upbringing has has made me feel that way, feel that comfort level, you know. I mean, uh, I do Cinco de Mayo, and Cinco de Mayo is just a, is, is, a, is the American way, you know, but it's not the most important thing. So I understand the cultures. I've been around it, and I know where my boundaries are, and I can hear things out here. But, you know, I'm a human being. We're all human beings. We all are trying to make a living. We all are trying to get a better life. You know, you got to be tolerant and look at people and say, okay, he's doing the same thing I'm doing. You know, uh, we got too much of this and too much of that and too many people condemning. But, you know, I'm easygoing and I know where I stand. I'm very secure in myself, you know, and uh, I just go with that. You know, I don't meet strangers. I mean, there's nobody that's a stranger to me. You know, I grew up that way. I could go in any house and there's always tortillas on the back of the stove that I could get, you know. Uh, down here fry bread, you know, and things like that. So my world of growing up has made me the person I am now that I can go out and I can feel comfortable discussing with anyone. For our friends who um, are listening and they're not familiar with this, that part of the Southwest, uh, did, so you grew up, was that a reservation? or? Yeah, it was, it was a White Mountain Apache reservation, yes, and it was a... The reservation was a small town, and it was a, a mill. There was a lumber mill there, and everybody worked at the at the lumber mill. Yeah, I was looking at the some of the slides that you were that you presented today, and I saw that you worked with the Hopi. Yeah, the Hopi, Hopi the Hopi reservation. That's <coughs> I worked with the Hopis, Navajo, two other nations, Navajos, right? no, yeah. and uh, the White Mountain Apache. All that is within that region. In, this in, that st in that state, you know, and then the St. Carlos Apaches mm -hmm. and the Gila River tribes. Um, <clears throat> I've worked with all of them. Okay. They're, and also I've done some work with the Havasupai, which is in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I've also did some work with the Wallapai, which is just east of the Grand Canyon. It has the Skywalk. I see. And I have several tribes up in the northwest of uh, the Yakima Nation, the Nez Perce in Idaho, the Warm Springs, the Umatillas, uh, a lot of the Puget Sound tribes up around Seattle. Uh, I've worked with the uh, <coughs> Northern Utes in Vernal, Utah, over that way. i worked with some of the Colorado tribes and uh, some of the Pueblos in New Mexico. So I've been around quite a bit, mm -hmm. you know. So you got diagnosed. At this point, you were already involved with this uh, prevention or, or with the research part? Or, or once you got diagnosed, you, I don't, how, how is that transition? I don't do research. What I do is I tell my story and I try to encourage men to get checked. Okay. And I, prevention, yeah, yeah. Yeah, prevention and the, the value of early detection. Mm -hmm. I count, caught my cancer very early. I detected it. I went in and I had surgery. So I was 
not I was able to not have to have chemo or not mm. have to have radiation. So that's a good thing just because I caught it early, prevention. And so I advocate for prevention and education for men. At what age have you learned this is the best time to do these prevention checkups? Well, it's all over the board in the medical world. Some say 40, some say 50, you know, and uh, some say it's earlier if you have family history, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, In your case, was any family history? My case was Agent Orange Spray from Vietnam. Oh, being so, exposed yeah, to that. Right, uh-huh. So I try to reach out to the veteran communities too, you know. Okay. I wear a, a reb- yellow ribbon, ribbon shirt, which is symbolic of hope, yellow. And I also put a patch on the front and on the back, and it's the Vietnam campaign ribbons. Every Vietnam veteran knows those ribbons. And so they can see that, and I don't have to tell them I'm a Vietnam veteran. They can see that. Mm -hmm. I saw that in your jacket, too. It's a visual thing, you know, and uh, it allows them to come up to me and talk to me because they know that we are brothers and we have something in common. So it's... uh, so do you see a lot of this within the veteran community, uh, the, a lot of cancers, a lot of... Uh, I see a lot of veterans and a lot of veterans that have issues, multiple issues. Uh, I've had prostate cancer and I've also had thyroid issues. I had thyroid surgery and I, I'm here on a, excuse me, a multipurpose mm-hmm. trip. I'm looking at, uh, do I have osteoporosis, you know, and... Uh, a lot of other things, and so I see the veterans at the VA, and I see all of our veterans going in, and a lot of them don't realize that they're sick. You know, this stuff, this chemicals that comes as you get older, it gets more aggressive in your body, and sometimes when you recognize you have it, it's at an advanced stage. So I'm advocating, so go get a checkup. Mm-hmm. See where you are. Get a reference point. Where if you got something you can deal with it, but uh, Vietnam has been almost 50 years, so the average Vietnam veteran now is in his late 60s or 70s. So you were there during your early 20s, yeah, or I, you were when I got there, I just turned 21, so uh, this was 67, 1967, and so and I was there 67 and 68, so and then you look at where you were and what was sprayed and I know I was in one of the heavy sprayed areas but it's just a, an awareness and sharing my journey and saying okay you know I've been able to overcome this and this is what I've done because of early detection you need to go get checked you know you need to get find out uh, where you are in your body get a reference check you know? yeah I saw also that you guys were promoting some of the those greenhouses educating the community on, on the importance of uh, know where your food come from and all those kind of things. Yeah, I don't get much into that, but, you know, your food source is right and what chemicals are used. You know, you want to know that. And um, We have used a lot of chemicals over the years, and we don't know how they relate to our bodies. You know, we got much more cancers and diseases and things like that. A lot of it is tied to our diet, you know, as to what we eat, you know, uh, I grew up as a poor kid on the reservation, and we had the white flour. They say don't have white flour now. And it's like, uh, how do you make good tortillas if you don't have white flour, you know? And they says don't have lard, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like some of those things, and uh, don't eat a lot of pork. It doesn't make sense. No, no, it, yeah. it, it, it don't, you know, and because you have history showing you that you got parents and things that have lived a long time eating those foods, and now you say don't eat them. You have ways that you have treated yourself, traditional medicines, that you uh, didn't have a lot of doctors, but they took certain plants and made teas and things like that. So how do you deal with Western medicine? You yeah. start looking at the, the doc- physical activity, too, because back then yeah. we were more active. Right. Uh-huh. You had to work lifestyle. harder. Now you don't. You know, So uh, people have ways of doing things, and they a lot of times they don't want to take Western medicine because they've been on the traditional medicine that they've had. So you got a lot of different things going on there. So mm-hmm. I'm saying to you is if you're going out to speak, all people are different. There's no two people are different. You can't say that, oh, I know this guy, he's from 
Central American. I know this guy from New Mexico or Mexico. They're kind of the same. They're not. Every human being is different. Every tribe is different. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of times the language is different. As you know, uh, you hablo español un poquito. Uh, the, the, the dialect will change from California to Mexico. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the words that you hear might not be the same word used over here as over there. So I've gotten into that. It's taking Castilian Spanish in school. You know, I'm looking at that, mm -hmm. and it's like, hey, what's the word over here in California you guys use? You know, you got the slangs. So a lot of different variations, and you got to know some of those things when you step into the arena of trying to educate. Uh, cancer, the word cancer, it differs in different languages. Some tribes, there's no word for cancer. So I'm also advocating that if you're going to go out and put yourself into trying to educate, that you should understand who you're trying to educate, how they learn, and understand that culture. Because there's a lot of things going on there historically that you might not be aware of. So I try to be able to go and, and mix with the people. You have the government system, which is the tribal council. I don't go to them. The people know what's going on, and they will go to their government and, and advocate for mm -hmm. what. It's not for me to go there to go top down. You go bottom up. You never go there asking, telling people, that you need to do this. You don't do that. You mean to the tribal leaders? Or the, the communities. Oh, the communities. You don't go there saying, I want to study breast cancer, for example. They might tell you, we're concerned about diabetes. What can you do with us about that? So everything that comes out of there that uh, I take to someone else is driven by the community. It's the community's desire to say, this is what's important to me. And uh, I ask for their permission to take it forward. I don't assume anything. I'm very honest. You got to always be honest. <clears throat> you also got to have the respect. You got to respect who you're dealing with. If you don't show that respect, you're not going to get anywhere. And don't overcommit. Don't get so anxious to say, hey, we can deliver this, and you can't deliver it. You know, stay within your stay within your boundaries. I did hear that once uh, with Dr. John Tolbert, the, he worked with, uh, I don't remember which tribe or nation, um, he was going there for three years, and they keep saying, okay, now we need this. We need this. This is our needs. And then eventually he said, mentioned that three years later or something like that. He said, okay, by the way, what were you here for? What do you need? Now now we can mm -hmm. right. now we can listen to you right. because this is our needs first that we need to take care of our community. And, right. and, and he mentioned those same things that you are mentioning right now. And you get into needs. You know, people have uh, unsettled needs, you know. For example... If I go there and I'll use a woman as the example, and I said, well, I'd like to work with you on breast cancer. And you have to recognize that she might not be as interested as you on working on breast cancer because she might not have the money to buy gas to get to that facility. She might not have any more in the child care. She has babies. So there's a whole lot of issues there that has to be taken care of before you can deal with this other issue. She doesn't view the breast cancer as serious as she does taking care of her children or having the money to travel there. So you have to be able to deal with the whole person and their needs. And like Dr. Tilbert say, once you met those needs, they were in a position to deal with what you want. Because people go there sometime and they go to satisfy their needs. They don't consider the needs of someone else. They want to take something from you and move on but you got to give something you got to understand Invest, what's there, yeah. you know and and uh, that's what I would say to researchers I'm not a researcher and I don't get into that I'm just a, 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 a spiritual person as I always say you know by the creator has created me to be a spiritual person to communicate with my brothers and sisters and take some of their needs and concerns up to another level a place that they cannot uh, don't even know exist and ask the people to go and help out on this. And I'm very sincere about it. It's my passion. Uh, I don't, uh, uh, I'm paid by the Creator. He blesses me. I don't look for compensation. I don't look for 
somebody to pat me on the back and praise me. I do what the Creator has put me in charge of doing on this earth. I do what I need to do for Him. I look for Him for rewards. He compensates me in ways that uh, you can never really appreciate. And I'm always where I need to be. His guiding light puts me where I need to be. I'm here today, you know. Is there a need here? Yes, there is. Uh, they call me. I don't advertise. It's by word of mouth. I've had people send me a plane ticket and say, come here in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, to the Utes to go there. I'm very loyal to the tradition as a flute player. I'm also a sweat large person and also a traditional dancer. What would you say for somebody who's listening and let's say they just been diagnosed recently with, uh, in this case, like you did, uh, cancer or any other disease? What would be your message? How the music help you? And what would be the me your message to? I can t I can only tell you about my journey and what I chose to do. I chose to go get a second opinion. Okay. Uh, no one person knows everything. And uh, a second opinion will really confirm because someone could miss something. Get a second opinion, and then I did research on it. I was able to do it. Not everybody's able to do this, but you, when you get that second opinion, you get, if you don't have the knowledge, you got to trust somebody. You got to build that trust. You got to find someone that you trust. Trust is a big thing. If you don't trust them, you're not going to follow what they say. But in my particular case, The first doctor, I just told him I didn't like his bedside manners, and I told him I was not going to come back to him again. I left him, and I went to another doctor in another town, and I told him about my past experiences. This is me, and this is not for everybody, but right. I, I uh, told him about my experience with the other person, and he started to look at me, and he actually found my cancer. Once he found my cancer, I had also did a lot of research, and I didn't want to utilize his method. You know, I knew that there was a better way. So it was a shared decision between you and the provider? Yes, I sat there with him, and I told him, I said, there's other technology. I said, I would like to have that because of the advantages of less bleeding, less uh, uh, risk of infections, and a quicker healing time. And it was laparoscopic to robotic surgery. It was pretty expensive, but uh, he said, I understand what you're saying. He says, uh, I don't do that. I said, but can you help me find someone that does? He said, yes. Yeah. So we went together and started looking and found the doctor. I went to that doctor, and I just pretty open and honest with him. I just says, you know, my wife and my sister's here. We're looking at utilizing you. I says, we have questions. I says, and every one of us has to agree. When I walk out of here, it's going to be a unanimous decision based on their questions they ask you and whatever, you know. And you need that support going in. So they were satisfied with it, and so he did the surgery. I asked him, uh, he says, when do you want it done? And I said, yesterday. You know, that's the kind of guy I am. I said, I want it done as soon as possible. When you tell me I got cancer, It's basically sound like a, a, a signal of death, you know, and you want to get this taken care of as quickly as possible. He says, well, 30 days as quick as I can do it. So I did that, and he did it. And uh, after I come out of surgery, that's when I, the Creator sent the elders to me to start my journey. But uh, I have to say that, you know, I was in a position that I had good health care insurance And all of these things that enable me to do that, you know, the people that a lot of people I talk with don't have a lot of those things, and I resources. really don't. And yeah. I don't. I don't bring that up as to what I did, you know, because I know what resources are not there. So you don't create false hope, you know. You start looking at what's available and what can take care of them, and it's like I go from that perspective. What about spiritually? Because that has to do a lot with your oh, my health. Spirit, oh yeah, spiritually because. Um, There's a, 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 a friend of mine, it's a Pasco Yaqui in Arizona, and his name is Miguel Flores, and he's a spiritual leader, and he talks about the whole body. Men, body and mind. Mind and all of that, you know, says so you can't treat one part of it, you got to treat the whole body. <clears throat> and I like that, and I spent a lot of time with him in Tucson, and that, you know, uh, 
uh, I go to a lot of things and share my perspective because as a cancer survivor, people want to hear that side of it as opposed to um, theories and, and education. And I uh, had a quote on there that uh, for me, and it's like, I am practicing Catholics of Pope Paul VI. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, was on there, and uh, and I call myself a witness. I'm a witness to cancer, and he said, you know, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses, not teachers, you know, but witnesses, you know. And so, I believe that, you know, I'm I'm that witness, and I'm trying to share that from that perspective, and it's a good thing, you know. I uh, I don't force anything on anyone. Well, what would you say to a man? Because sometimes us as a man, there is plenty of proof and studies that show that men, we don't listen, we don't do our checkups, we don't see, we know there is always, I mean, there is information, but it probably should be more. But for those people who, you know, you go to a, a gathering, there is people doing blood pressures or checkups, and, and the man is like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I've gone, don't send me on. I've gone to uh, the Hopi tribe, and they call this uh, man's night out. The women there prepare a feast, and they also prepare uh, checkpoint stations to, for men's health to go get your blood pressure and all these tests. And you can't get to the food unless you've gone through all of those checkpoints. <laughs> And you have it checked off on your list. That's your passport thing. Yeah, you know, the, the, to, yeah. To, to get there, you know, and, and they're standing there, and you got to hand them that paper to get over to the food. And once you get the food, then you go sit down, and then there's presentations. So that's been effective. Uh, one other place in, in the Nez Perce tribe in Lewiston, Idaho, I spoke there, and the, the tribal chair came out, and the, he had 50 guys there how do you get 50 guys here to listen to me? And he says, they work for me. This is where they work today. They don't show up to work here. They don't get paid today. So th there are ways that they have done that. But the newest thing I'm looking at now is to say, let's talk about prostate cancer f f with women. Let's talk about the symptoms that a male has early stages for prostate cancer. Let's educate the woman as to what those symptoms are. And when she's at home with her male companion and he exhibits some of those symptoms, they're going to get him into the doctor. They have more power than I do. So you start working from that perspective because if they don't participate and he dies early because of something he could have prevented or dealt with, there's a loss of revenue to the home. Yeah. There's a loss of companionship, and a lot of times you have women that didn't work outside of the home. So their money is cut down. They can get, go from pretty good to into poverty. So it's Really fast. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a family issue. This becomes a family issue with the males, and that's what I always say. It's a family issue. It affects the family affects the kids, the wife, and everybody when you are negligent, when you're too lazy to go get checkups. You think that you're too macho. You know, I just say that right out front, you know, and uh, I'm working on that with the women because a lot of times history has shown that men have found women, breast cancer has found lumps on the women. You know, that's your companion, that's, you know, your intimate, so... It found lumps and, and uh, found out that the woman had breast, got checked and she had breast cancer. So that's nothing new. And you have to look at it, like I said, from a health perspective and look at a man's health as a family issue. And I can share that with them, but somebody else will be able to, a woman will be able to, if she tells you, your wife tells you, go get checked, Miguel. You said, I'm not going. Well, she got ways to get you to go, <laughs> you know. She's got many ways to get you to get in there. You're going to be happy to go, you know. And so uh, 
Uh, I also looked at a. They just tell you. I schedule. I schedule you uh, an appointment. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> so they got leverage that I don't have. You know, they just oh, I don't want to listen to that guy. You know, they turn me off. But I, I get those women in there. They listen. And another thing I I looked at, but it's kind of a difficult thing, is that the grandkids. They says, Grandpa Miguel, if you don't stop smoking, you won't be able to come to my soccer game. Why don't you quit that smoking? You know, pretty soon, and, and they will keep badgering you every time they see you light up. So pretty soon you start hiding from them, you know, and then pretty soon you say, oh, what the heck, I might as well quit. You know, so yeah. that, that that's a mean that they're innocent and they tell you that this is a health issue and they bring it home to you. you it makes you think differently. How was the response today when you presented to to the, the staff of the Mayo Clinic? The response was that for the first time, I think, that they have gone and people have sit up and had a PowerPoint and lectured. I did not use that PowerPoint. I told them they could read that on their own. Mm -hmm. I wanted to speak from the oral perspective. I work in Native American country uh, communities, and the history is oral perspective. And if you guys are, want me to present on Native American issues, I'm going to present the way I present there, not the way mm -hmm. uh, the, the Western people do. The traditional. Uh -huh. So uh, once I went halfway through my presentation, I stopped. I said, now I want this interactive. I want you guys to tell me what haven't I covered so far that you would like to know. And says, don't everybody speak at once? And, you know, nobody wants to raise their hand, so... I proceeded said, okay, you're going to be first. I picked out this person, and, and she shared something about from the music to learning about the culture and all these different things. So I went right down the line. You, 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 you. And after I got about the fifth or sixth one, the peer pressure kicked in. Nobody wanted to be the oddball that says nothing. I'm not going to say Everybody anything. Had a question Everybody had something to say. They all come out happy. And the other part of it was that uh, people had been there. They meet together frequently. And, and one person says, I've never heard them say anything. I've ne you know, I, oh. heard, I heard their viewpoint, you know, and I had never heard them speak. And it was nice because some of the viewpoints I heard were some of the same questions I would have asked. And so there was a variety of questions that was asked there. Everybody in the room had to ask, had to tell me something. Either they enjoyed it or they wanted me to talk a little bit about certain things more. And I just got them engaged. You know, you don't want to sit, let them sit there and they get through and say, oh, he said this. I was going to ask him about that, but now it's over. Let's get it out now. There's time. You know, so, uh, and it was different. Even Wes said it was really different and it was rewarding that people enjoyed it, you know, that people had a chance to yeah. Yeah, be engaged and they got a chance to speak, you know, instead of just always listening. And Can you share a little bit um with the, some of the organizations that you collaborate over there well, in, in Arizona? The one you got there is, is one of the ones that I'm very active with, and it's called NACP. Uh -huh. It's Native American Cancer Prevention. Okay. And it's a partnership between Arizona, uh, University of Arizona and Northern Arizona University. Okay. Geographically, they are separated by, you know, Northern Arizona. So they cover the whole yeah, state. It, it, no, they're up in the north part, Flagstaff, oh. up close to the Grand Canyon more closer to the Navajo Nation and Hopi Nation. The University of Arizona is in southern Arizona, close to the Mexico border. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the Pasco Yaquis and, and some of those tribal members actually live outside of the United States in Mexico. So they have to come to border. Also Hopis, because when I, I, I went, I grew up in Mexico and I had some classmates who were from the Hopi Nation. Okay. And they shared with us that they were free to transit through the whole continent, but... Yeah, right. They were, but when you're living as a resident in Mexico and you come across the border, the school, they have to go through the border checkpoint. But, I mean, it's a Correct. formality because yeah. they do it every day. But uh, but uh, it was interesting as I have started to look more into the Yaquis and the, and the Tejanta Autumn. Mm -hmm. I started to look at most of the people down there. They have uh, Mexican surnames. Uh, like Miguel Flores, he's mm -hmm. Pasco Yaqui. And I says, why is it that you have uh, the Mexican surname if, if you're a tribal member? 
he says, well, back in ancient times, with the wars and all of the different wars that uh, they, they come in and they wanted to have all of the Mexicans were good workers. The Indians were not so good. So they wanted to kill off all of the Indians. And so mm -hmm. they had to uh, change their surname to be of Mexican descent to be to survive. Now, this is what he told me. I don't want to put this out as, <laughs> as, as, as factual because I haven't yeah. checked on it. But this is what he told me. And he had no reason to lie because I, I wondered about that. And so he's like a medicine man, and he talks about uh, historical trauma, yep. historical trauma to uh, a lot of people, a lot of different backgrounds have gone through historical trauma and uh, it has shaped their views of trust and mistrust so uh, this is part of uh, he's part of the NACP Native, uh, Native American Cancer Prevention and it's a large organization we had one of our top tier people uh, Dr. Tisha Solomon was here three months ago or something like that and talked and covered this whole program extensively. Mm -hmm. That's why I come, I didn't want to get into it. I just wanted to yeah, highlight no. some of the successes that we've had, you know, and uh, the part that I play in this whole thing is I'm on the community outreach team. I see. So my role is out in the community hearing things and like that. I'm not a researcher and I'm not sitting behind a desk. Or well, you understand. You yeah. And you and see I understand, that. Yeah. The benefit the brands right, uh, and so to make policies like, right, and know. I I can bring things to them that the people out there will share with me, but won't share with them, and it's to their benefit. They said, well, you know, we need this. For example, uh, Saint Carlos said to me the other day, we have a a health issue with garbage. Says, can you help us write a grant? And I don't write grants, but. I called down to Tucson and uh, sent an email and, and to Tisha and I says, who does this? Well, there's a whole environmental section that was already going out in that area and directed them to go meet with the people and they got there and they solved the problem. So, uh, but Doing they, those connections. Right. Uh -huh. So they come to me. They didn't realize these other people. They come to me and I kind of take it to someplace else and go there. And if, if they have a problem of going there, um, apprehension, I will go there to the meeting with them. But I didn't need to at this one. So, I mean, I'm a face in the community, a trusted face. So they'll come to me and they'll tell me a lot of things. Uh, just like, and I go to social events in the community. Uh, I'm all over. And they invite you to perform oh. all over the nation too. Yeah, they invite me to come in and the, a lot of the veterans there invite me to veteran type things. Uh, uh, I've been on the radio in their communities, you know, so I'm just, uh, I guess, someone that they're comfortable with and they trust. So, uh, and I try to be the vehicle to be able to take their interest to another level for funding or whatever. You know, everything has such stipulations and funding that you can't buy food. Well, culturally speaking and traditionally, you don't have an event without food. So. It's up to them to figure out a way how to get around that. You know, it's not my business. This is what's going to be needed over here. You figure it out. You know? I get the people. <laughs> right? So, but I just say, you know, we can't have an event, a native event, without having food, some kind of food. That's just tradition. You know, so you don't buck tradition if you expect to get anything. So they're not going to come to some event like that. So, uh You I, gave the reality check. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 and, and I just lay it out there. I don't push. I just put it out there graphically the way it really well, is you know you can take it or leave it you know for whatever you want you know you're trying to accomplish something we can make it su successful or, uh, or we yeah. can still sit back because you want to be able to communicate this entity want to be able to communicate with this tribe in many different aspects of things so if you you get stumped right here you're not going to get around this and go someplace else people will remember that you know they remember it, and the word gets around oh, just yeah. pretty fast. You know how that is, you know. You don't have to have a telephone. <laughs> they can tell this person, that person. So uh, it just, it, it is, Miguel. It's just fun uh, for me. It's, it's a healing process, yeah, too. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, and, and I haven't had, I have good health. You know, you look at me, and it's like uh, people see me running around, and it's like I'm an elder. I'm 70 years old. 
You never would have thought that, would you? Nope. Yeah. And so I've had a lot of learning, a lot of experience, you know, and I can take from that. And I've had ups and downs. Not everything has been uh, up, you know, as it's coming to life. You know, I come through some hard times of very poor. I grew up a very poor person. And so uh, I, I look at that. I never forget where I come from. Yeah. And where I come from does not define who I am. It's very important to, to know that about yourself. Nothing can take away where you come from. You can't hide it. Be proud of where you come from. But it has doesn't have to define who you are today because you've grown so much and so immensely. Uh, nobody is better than you. I don't think I'm inferior to any person. I don't think I'm better than any person either. We're all the creator's creations. You know, we all are equal. Whether we live in a society where they recognize it or not, you know, you always have to recognize who you are. And you have to speak up when it's time to speak up, you know, no matter what. Uh, and I believe in that, you know. I live by that. I don't meet strangers. I try to treat everybody the way I would like to be treated. And I respect everyone. You Th know. Thank you, Bill. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing your journey with us and everybody here in the podcast and uh, for doing the work that you do and educating us, educating people uh, across the nation coming to... Uh, to Rochester, Minnesota, to the Mayo Clinic, a big institution, and, and learn from you and, and your experience. That's very kind of you. And, and Miguel, I might say that sometimes the institutions have all the, a lot of the solutions, but if you can't access them, what good are they? And sometimes they have to step outside of the Mayo Clinic boundaries and face the reality that not everybody has the means to come here. Not, not everyone has uh, the knowledge, you know. And if, if the Creator gives you this knowledge and you can't help your fellow man, what good is it, you know? And everything is not about money, you know. It's about taking care of others. And I don't base my life on doing this on money. They all ask me, well, how does it go? I said, the Creator pays me. Uh, Creator takes care of me. The Creator makes a way for me to be where I'm supposed to be, where He wants me to be. It's totally in His hands. I don't worry about that. Um, you know, if, if somebody wants me there, they will usually find a way to get me there. The mail says, we want you here. They pay my transportation here. When I come in and I try to do the best job that I can. And to try to make them aware that they're sitting here but there's a lot of hunger, poverty, and things out here uh, in the world. And we are supposed to be America that's so great, but we have so much that we don't take care of in our own land. In the Navajo Reservation, they still haul water, you know, into some of those communities. They don't have running water. They don't have anything that they to get water. That water truck comes around and. Uh, give them water in a barrel that they can cook and wash with periodically. So we got a lot in America that we need to look at besides getting involved with something else, you know, and take care of the people here. And a lot of times that's misdirected. Everybody wants the glory of going somewhere, taking care of somebody else, and not taking care of what's right here before you. And I don't want to seem like I'm beating up on them, but that's the realities realities of life so thank you for having no, me no thank you Bill and I, I want to invite everybody uh, Bill where can people reach you do you have uh, any social media where people can follow you a link otherwise I can put put the links on the website and then people can contact I, you or I, I can uh, give you I don't have a link I do have an email address you can share it if you're comfortable okay uh, my email address is Lamar, L-A-M-A-R, mm -hmm. the number two at cox.net, and I will give it to you where you can post it. Okay. And uh, I have my own uh, 
business, I call it my business, of, of men's health, you know, and health, cancer and health issues. Health promotion? Yeah, okay. com community health. And so uh, I do that, and it's not an official business. It's something that I chose to do because I want to be independent. And it's a way people can contact yeah. you. And I want to be independent. I don't want to be dictated by to, that I can't do this and I can't do that, you know. Yeah, if someone, case strengths. Yeah, somebody says, we need you to come here, Bill, but we don't have any money. Bill's going to get there. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, somebody else says, we don't have gas money for you to go there. Well, there's a way there. Yeah. Gonna, so that's what I did. And then I didn't get a lot of things on it. So uh, what I did is how people look at things, how people put importance on it. I had my card out. and uh, We'll make sure we get uh, your contact out. And I want to invite everybody to follow us on Facebook. We're going to be putting the information on their Go on pages on Facebook under Community Board Podcast. Under, sorry, just Community Board. Go on Twitter, also Community Board. Find us on iTunes under Community Board Podcast. Also on SoundCloud, Community Board Podcast. Give us a like, follow us, subscribe, and stay tuned for more information. If you want to share more information with the community, make sure you contact us. And uh, we're going to keep bringing a special guest like today. Bill, thank you again. And one more thing. Go ahead. Miguel, I would like to challenge the people out there to give me some feedback. Come back to you and say they like, they did yeah, not like. That's a what, great idea. What I could do differently in my presentation to them. Yeah. That makes me better. That's great. And also, really great idea, Bill. Mm -hmm. Thank you again. Sure. And have a good trip back home. And, uh, Enjoy the stay in Minnesota. The cold weather, enjoy that? Yeah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye, guys. <laughs>